old radio listening society a podcast dedicated to suspense crime and horror stories from the golden age of radio i'm eric i'm tim and i'm joshua we love mysterious old time radio stories but do they stand the test of time that's what we're here to find out we're celebrating our impending 300th episode with a recommendation from our mysterious listener and patreon supporter trevor Trevor writes, I recently came across an episode of Suspense that I don't think you've featured on the podcast yet. It's Donovan's Brain, a two-part episode starring Orson Welles. While the story touches on some common themes in science fiction at the time, the performance and the particulars of the story stood out to me. I'd love to get your take on it. Suspense aired on CBS Radio from 1942 to 1962, producing 947 episodes in total, most of which still exist today. Known as radio's outstanding theater of thrills, suspense specialized in edge-of-your-seat thrillers, some written specifically for radio, others adapted from contemporary and classic literature. Donovan's Brain was based on the popular science fiction novel by German-American author Kurt Siodmak. It was initially published as a three-part serial in the fall 1942 issues of Black Mask magazine. The first book edition was released the following year, along with an armed services edition distributed to U.S. military personnel. Siodmak was born in Dresden, Germany, where he earned a degree in mathematics before turning his attention to writing. In the years before the war, Siodmak wrote many novels and screenplays, including FP1, Doesn't Answer, which was adapted into a film starring Hans Albers and Peter Lorre. When Hitler came to power, Siodmak fled to England and then to America and finally to the land of dreams, Hollywood. Siodmak's big break came when Universal Studios hired him to write the screenplay for the 1941 film The Wolfman, starring Lon Chaney Jr. Many of the most enduring aspects of werewolf lore were created by Siodmak, including The Mark of the Pentagram and A Vulnerability to Silver. He went on to write several other well-known genre films, including Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, I Walked with a Zombie, The Beast with Five Fingers, and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Donovan's brain was adapted for screen three times over the course of 20 years. The first was The Lady and the Monster in 1944, followed by Donovan's Brain in 1953, and finally The Brain in 1962. Of these three, the 1953 film, directed by Felix Feist, has the best reputation. The suspense version was written by Robert L. Richards, who wrote another of the program's most acclaimed productions, The House on Cypress Canyon. Donovan's brain marks two firsts in the program's history, the first science fiction production and the first to be presented in two parts. It's also notable for being Orson Welles' final appearance on the program. Suspense presented Donovan's Brain again in 1948 when the program experimented with a one-hour runtime. This second broadcast starred John McIntyre in the lead role. The reputation of the original Orson Welles-led production rests partially on its re-release on vinyl, which, in a surprise time-traveling twist, won Best Spoken Word Album at the 1982 Grammy Awards. The LP beat some staunch and somewhat strange competition, E.G. Marshall reading the selected Supreme Court decisions of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Ed McMahon's rendition of Twas the Night Before Christmas, James Mason's abridged reading of Lolita by Vladimir Nebikov, and last but not least, journalist Vic Garabini's interview with some guy named Paul McCartney. Not too shabby for a radio program that had been off the air for 20 years. And now, let's listen to Donovan's Brain, Part 1, from Suspense. First broadcast, May 18th, 1944. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud. Your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world 
The wine for your table is Roma wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you a star, Mr. Orson Welles. This will be the first of two consecutive performances by Mr. Welles, in which he will appear as the protagonist of Kurt Siodmak's novel, Donovan's Brain. The producer of Suspense and its sponsors, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, feel that this story is so unusual that it merits more than our usual time. So in somewhat of a departure from established radio formulas, we will bring you the story of Donovan's Brain in two parts. Part one you will hear tonight, and part two next Monday night at this same time. Before we take you to the scene of our drama, let's take a little journey of a different kind. We'll let a bottle of Roma wine serve as Aladdin's lamp. I touch the label, and presto, we are all transported to that capital of gaiety, Havana, Cuba. And now we find ourselves in the charming Pan American Club. At a table nearby, an American has just voiced his delight at the uncommon beauty of the scene. Then his Cuban companion responds, well, you in America also have much that is uncommon to boast of. Such is this marvelous tasting wine we are enjoying this minute. To enjoy uncommon fine quality, Cuba imports this wine from your own distant California. It is your superb Roma wine. Now just realize what it means when other countries import Roma wines from such great distances. Such international esteem must mean that Roma wines are truly magnificent in quality. And then consider this. You here in America need pay no high import duty, no expensive shipping charges. For these fine Roma wines come from Roma's own wineries in the heart of the rich California wine grape districts. Because so many Americans do realize this good fortune, Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. So why deny yourself this taste delight? Try an inexpensive bottle of tangy, appetizing Roma sherry or the hearty Roma burgundy or any of the marvelously enjoyable Roma wines. But remember, these days your favorite dealer may be temporarily out of the type we prefer. Then please try again. Ask for R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with part one of Donovan's Brain, and with the performance of Orson Welles as Dr. Patrick Corey, we again hope to keep you in suspense. As I sit now outside my laboratory door writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter. But for those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully from its first entry on that ill-starred day of July the 13th. July 13th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream which would throw off my observations, so I fed it and finally the creature voluntarily crept up into my arms uttering little whimpers of content. When it laid its head against my shoulder, I stabbed it the surgical lancet. It died instantly. Well, David, what do you think of it? Well, it, it's pretty amazing, all right. See what I've done, don't you? I, I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all, Dad, I'm only a second-year medical student. I know, student. but what if I was a second-year student? Who is it? It's me, Janice. Come in, darling. Patrick, Dr. Schrott is here to see you. Oh, come on in, Doctor. You know our son, David, of course. Yes, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, Doctor. Well, Patrick, hard at it as usual, <laughs> I see. Patrick, you didn't eat the lunch I sent in to well, you. Well, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain. What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh. What about the brain, Patrick? I've been trying to see how long I can keep the tissue alive. Oh, is that it in that jar? Oh, there's considerably more to it than just a jar, though. Want to see how it works? Is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. Variation on Corell's mechanical heart. The brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These 
rubber arteries affixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries of the brain. The blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis, feed the tissue. Over here, I've installed a small rotary pump that forces the blood circulation, you see? But how do you know it's alive? It's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. They can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph up to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard. Here, I'll turn it on. You see? <laughs> Quite effective, isn't it? Yes, it's effective. And it's it's wrong, Patrick. Terribly wrong. I've tried to tell him, Dr. Schrott. In <laughs> heaven's only... name, what's wrong with it? Oh, Patrick, you and your mechanistic philosophy, trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick. And you're profaning. Nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. If I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there? Oh, Patrick, how, how do you know that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? Brain tissue itself is insensitive, you know that? Just a feeling look. I'll switch on the encephalograph. See? Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays. Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation now. Notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. See? Huh. It feels. It thinks. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I wouldn't have believed it possible. <laughs> the trouble with you, Schrott, is that you don't really believe in science. Uh, have it your own way, Patrick. That's when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube. I'll be back. You leaving, old boy? Yes. Patrick. Hmm? Do me a favor, Patrick. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. Let it die? Huh. If it were within my power to grant that little brain would live forever. July 18th. I'm utterly exhausted from lack of sleep at the events of the past five days have been of such tremendous importance that I must set them down while every last detail is still fresh in my mind. I've had no time to make an entry in this record since that day last week. It seems a month ago now and I had my first partial success with the brain of the Capuchin monkey. At that time, however, it seemed that I was doomed to disappointment. In spite of all my efforts, the brain of the monkey ceased to live at 12.14 that night. Tired and disheartened, I lay down to sleep on the cot in my laboratory, but at that very moment, fate was contriving an occurrence which now seems destined to have the most profound effect not only upon my own existence, but perhaps upon that of all mankind. Huh? Hello? What is it? Dad. Oh, David. Come in, come in. What's the matter? It's Dr. Schrott. There's been an accident or something. Oh. He's pretty upset. All right, I'll come. Oh, Patrick. Oh, Patrick, Patrick thank heavens, my boy. What's the matter, I, boy? There's, there's been a plane crash on the mountain. Only one of them was left alive, and I've, I've brought him this far, but he, he needs an immediate operation. Oh, sorry, that's your job, your county physician. Mm. Patrick, it's, it's multiple fractures of both legs. Oh, the arteries oh. are severed, and the legs will have to be amputated. Huh? You're not in any shape to do the job. Well, I... Well, that's not my fault. Take him to the Phoenix Hospital. I'm not going to take responsibility. Oh, it's too far. Really we'd never it. get there in time. And Patrick, please, it, it may mean a man's life and... And, and I... your job as county physician. No, no, I'm not thinking of that. Right. But it's it's an important man. William H. Donovan. Donovan? Don... The Wall Street Donovan? Yes. You've got to help me, Patrick. Donovan. Hmm. What are his chances? About even, if we hurry. Well, bring him in. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you. You'd better get some things on, David. You may have to help. Yes, uh, and we use the laboratory table. Before you go, put the instruments in the sterilizer. And don't forget the Geely saw. Right. Oh, but... But, uh, but what? I thought the Geely saw was only used for... For, for brain surgery. Hmm. Not always. Hurry. They'll bring him in now from the car. Okay, Dad. In here. Careful now. That's right. Easy, does. Around the table, please. Yes, Doctor. Easy, is it? You better get yourself a gown and gloves, Doctor, right over there. You won't have time to scrub. Yes, thanks, mm -hmm. Doctor. Bad, isn't he? Pulse rapid. 
Hard to be faint. I wasn't sure. Uh, David, uh, yes, half cc of adrenaline, David, one to one thousand to Venus. Right. You men can go now. Is there anything else we no, can do? No, thank you. Patrick, don't you think... I'd that... rather we were alone, if you don't mind, gentlemen. Yes. Good night, then, Dr. Schrad. Doctor. Good night. Good night. Now, David, David, if you remove the blanket from his legs, that's it. Right. You see, fortunately, a forest ranger got to him right after the crash and had sense enough to put a tourniquet on each leg. Even so, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. We'll get it. Sure, sure, sure. What's he saying? Uh, something like, sure, sure, sure. He said it over and over. Huh. I hadn't realized he was deformed. It doesn't show as much in his pictures. Patrick, don't you think we ought to begin? Oh, there's no use amputating those legs. No use? He'd be dead anyway by morning. Well, won't he? Well, suppose you're right, Patrick. You know I'm right. But still, we ought to try. We can't refuse to operate just We are because... going to operate. Syringe, please, David, the large one. Here you are, Dad. Spinal anesthetic. Will you give it, Dr. Schrock? Right. Scalpel, please, David. Scalpel and the Geely saw. Geely saw? Patrick. Well? No, 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 Patrick. I won't let you. After your performance tonight? Well, I... But, Patrick, he's still alive. Precisely. My mistake with the monkey was that he was dead. I don't intend to make that mistake again. Come on, David. Patrick, the scalpel. Patrick, are you out of your mind? You're, you're, you're taking a man's life. I'm giving him life. Donovan would die anyway. But for a while, at least, Donovan's brain will live. <laughs> Better hurry, they'll be coming for the body pretty soon. Yeah, you can go now, David. I David, think I will, uh, then. You understand, of course? Yes, I understand. Not a word, not a word to your mother or to anyone. I understand. Did you put something in the skull cavity oh, so yeah. the eyes won't fall? I filled it with cotton, bandaged the whole cranium. It looked like any head injury. I hope nobody gets any ideas about an autopsy. You're the coroner. You can stop there. Look, Schwartz. This is a chance that comes once in a lifetime. William Donovan had one of the greatest minds, has one of the greatest brains in the world today. And now you have it. Uh, it's Turn madness, on the encephalograph. Uh, simple simple alpha, alpha waves, waves, of course. No different from the monkeys. You can't take a human brain out of its body and expect it to function. I suppose not, but... Trot! Did it ever occur to you that the brain might simply be asleep? Asleep? Certainly. An operation like that is a severe shock. Tap on the glass. Good Lord, Patrick. Delta waves. It was asleep you woke it up. It's actually conscious. You see, you see, the three of us. Three of us conducting this experiment now. You, and me, and William Horace Donovan. July 25th, I moved my bed into the laboratory, but I've scarcely slept in six days. I mean, no longer any doubt that the brain responds like a sensitive seismograph to vibrations near it, including the sound of my voice. Yet I found no method of communication with it. I've devised a simplified Morse code consisting of taps on the glass container, together with voice vibrations. Perhaps, perhaps I can teach the brain. July 30th, Schrott has come to stay with me, half out of a feeling that he shares with me a common guilt, half out of scientific curiosity. I've scarcely seen him, and both David and Janice have been avoiding me, not that I really care. They've been tapping out my code on the side of the brain's container endlessly, day and night, over and over, a thousand times, so that a baby could learn it, if the brain can learn. I sleep only when the brain itself falls into exhausted slumber. When it wakes again, I resume my tapping. Come on, what get up, hurry! 
Come on, I want to show you something. Something the matter? Yes, old boy, I want to show you something. Patrick, you look like a ghost. Where are we going? Back to the laboratory. I can't believe it myself. I, I may have been dreaming delirious. What's happened? Come on. You hear that? Delta waves. Seems disturbed. You've got to check my observations for me. If my reasoning is wrong, tell me. I can't be sure of anything anymore. Yes. Now listen carefully. You know that I've been trying to communicate with the brain in code now. If I were able to cause a distinctive pattern of the brain's delta waves by a specific command in code, if the brain responded with the same pattern of sound each time I issued the command, it would prove that I'd succeeded in communicating with the brain, wouldn't it? Yes, Patrick, I think it would. Now, listen... Donovan, if you understand, think three times of the word talk. Three times. Talk. 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 It answered. It spoke. Then I'm right. It's true. This thing has learned to talk. To talk. July 31st. Shot is romanticizing, of course. The delta pattern is so infinitely complex that it would be utterly impossible ever to break it down into specific words, yet that it understands me, that it's trying to communicate with me, is certain. Shot suggests mental telepathy, that I try to make my mind a blank, as the mediums call it, while at the same time increasing the energy content of the plasma that feeds the brain in the hope of stepping up the brain's electrical potential as one would step up the power of a radio station. Naturally, telepathy is nonsense, but... The feeding theory intrigues me. I shall try it. August 12th. Notice today for the first time two distinct nodules of new brain cells on the frontal lobex. Electrical potential has increased to 510 microvolts. I, I, I've become smoking cigars. Although I've always hated cigars before. Nerves, I expect. August 22nd, nodules still growing. Electrical potential 1450, but no observable results. I've lately felt a compelling urge to know more of Donovan's life and have collected every available scrap of information about him. A strange man he was. Strange, ruthless, actually evil in many ways, but nonetheless an extraordinarily brilliant mind. wake you up, Patrick. You were moaning asleep. in your sleep, talking. Uh, talking? What did I say? I'm not sure, but your voice was so strange that... Janice, Janice, what's the matter? There's nothing, nothing. I was dreaming, that's all. Janice woke me up. Patrick, let me see your hand. My hand? What you no, the hand other one. For? What about it? You're not left-handed, are you? No. Then why have you got ink on the fingers of your left hand? Well, I don't know. Were you writing anything tonight? Oh. You must have been, Patrick. Here it is, right here on your desk. Nonsense. Wait, let me see it. Oh, you've been writing his name. William H. William Donovan. William H. Donovan Schrott. That's not my handwriting. It's... What? Don't you see what it means? The brain has communicated with me. Patrick, you don't... Look here. Look at this magazine article. Here's a reproduction of his signature... And he was left-handed, too. It says so here. Why, it is. It, it oh, is exactly the what same. What a fool I've been. Look at this picture smoking a cigar. With his left hand, I wondered why it suddenly started smoking cigars. The same brand, too. Janice, try to remember what you heard me saying just before you woke me up. Come on, Janice. Think. 
Patrick, I, I can't believe... Think, Janice. All I heard was something like, sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Don't you remember, Schrott? He said it that night. It was the only thing we ever heard him say. It, it, it was an expression of his. It tells about that in one of the articles. Two years. There it is. It right wasn't there. your voice, Patrick. It wasn't Patrick. my voice. You see, the brain has grown. And it's strong enough to influence not only the higher functions, the frontal lobe, but the speech centers, the motor centers of another brain. Patrick, if this is true, then your experiment has been successful. It's ended. Ended? Oh, it's only begun. Patrick! Don't you see what this means? Patrick, listen to me. Oh, what, Janice? What? You've got to stop. Stop? I can't stand it any longer. Can't you see where it's led you? When you cut yourself off from your family, when you neglected your health, began having fits of temper, and were like... like someone I hardly recognize as the man I married... All that I tried to understand. But don't you see what you've done? You are a murderer, Patrick, a murderer. Oh, Janice, darling. You told me the whole thing. That poor boy's half insane himself from worry. Insane? What do you mean by that? What I say. You killed Donovan. Janice, Maybe darling. he wouldn't have lived anyway. But you killed him. And now this, this thing has gained such power over your mind that it can make you do things you don't even know about. For all you know, it could make you do... Anything. Anything. You've got to choose, Patrick. Oh, Janice, please. I suppose you're right, but I'm utterly exhausted. I can't even think anymore. You've got to think. Give me until tomorrow. Let me sleep, and then tomorrow I'll do something. I promise you. All right, Patrick. Tomorrow. But if you don't do something, if you don't destroy that this thing, I will. The brain. It's almost as though it heard you and were raging. Raging at you. This way, please, Dr. Come Corey. Come darling. But, Patrick, hmm? why are we going in here? A psychiatric clinic? I told you I'd do something, Janice. I've, I've got an idea. You I... mean you're, you're having yourself psychoanalyzed? Well... Something like that? Something like that. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. First, I want, I want you to talk to this man alone. Dr. Zanger, this is Dr. Corey. Oh, how do you do, Dr. Corey? How do you I've heard do, something Dr. Zanger? of your work. Oh, yes. And this is Mrs. Corey. Of course, excuse me. I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Corey. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, won't you come in tomorrow? Uh, I, I will certainly. Janice, would you mind, darling, waiting in the reception room? I'll be out in just a moment. Why, certainly, dear. In here, please, Doctor. Very well. well. Doctor, she seems quite normal. I'd expected from what you told me on the telephone. That... I... I know. I... I know. I... I, I can assure you, I, I... I... I hate to tell you this, but... Uh, doctor... She's quite insane. I see. Yes, uh... Uh, paranoia. She, she's always been, you know, jealous of my work. And, well, last little while she started, she's got a, a delusion that she thinks I've made some kind of a monster in, up in, in my laboratory that controls my mind and then controls my actions. Huh. So uh, I'm, I'm putting her completely in your hands. Oh, well, it's, it's of course a little unusual, but since you are yourself a medical man... That's right. Uh, you definitely wish to commit her then, huh? Yes. Yes. You have the papers. Oh, yeah, here you are. Uh, just your signature will be enough, though. Uh, there you are. Uh, you, you let me know about everything, won't oh, you? Oh, naturally, Doctor. We keep okay. you informed. Thank you. Well, goodbye then, Dr. Corey. We, we'll do what we can. Oh, right. Uh, Patrick? Uh, Mrs. Corey is staying with us, Miss Wilcox. Yes, Dr. Zanger. Patrick? Come back! Patrick! Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Corey. Just come with me, please. Patrick! No. Where are you going? Let me go! Yes? Oh, about the bill, how do you wish it to be handled? 
Uh, the bill. The... The bill. <sighs> sure, sure, sure. I, I'll take care of it by the week. The checks will be signed to uh, William H. Donovan. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> August 20th. It's nearly three weeks now since Janice went away. I can't understand how she could have left me just when I needed her most. When I try to question Shrod or David about it, they only look at me strangely and change the subject. Clearly, they too now are in on the conspiracy. Sometimes it seems the only person I can trust is Donovan. The brain communicates with me more freely now each day. I know it has some great plan in mind for me, for both of us. I'm waiting, patiently waiting. Donovan, I, I'm listening, Donovan. Don't be angry, Donovan. I'm trying to understand. I, I'm listening, Donovan. I'm listening. I, I, I'm li <laughs> Sure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And so closes Donovan's Brain, part one, the first of two half-hour presentations of Kutzjord Mack's story, presenting Orson Welles as star of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the performance of Orson Welles and that of the whole cast tonight in our Roma Suspense play, and that you'll make a note to be sure not to miss the completion of this story next week. The Roma Wine Company would like to express its thanks for the many letters of appreciation from listeners which we are constantly receiving saying how much you enjoy these broadcasts. And here's a thought. To discover the enjoyment these suspense programs offer, you first had to sample one. And so you must first sample one of the many delicious Roma wines to discover for yourself their wonderful taste and quality, the excellence that makes Roma America's largest selling wines you'll discover, as of other millions before you, that Roma wines are super quality, are super tasting, and are super easy on your pocketbook, too, costing only pennies a glass. Be sure you get R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. The greatest and most profitable investment you can make in your country's future is to buy war bonds. Don't forget then, next Monday, you will hear part two of Donovan's Brain, starring Orson Welles, in the completion of this remarkable tale of suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. That was part one of Donovan's Brain from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Well, uh, let's uh, start with this, that I have heard the phrase Donovan's Brain a thousand times in my life. I am very familiar that People it's People just a scream it at <laughs> you. <laughs> just walking Donovan's down the brain! street. <laughs> hey, you! Donovan's I, Brain! I never read it, of course. I've never heard this. I've never seen the movies. So I really didn't ever know what it was about. You know, it's just a title that I know was famous. I know it's about a brain now. But it could have been Who about... Knew? It could have been about anything. <laughs> Brain-related. The other problem I have... Problem isn't the right word, but uh, my brain uh, is every time I hear the word Donovan. I'm just... Hello, yeah. hello. 
That's so weird. So I went into this with dread and fear, knowing like, oh man, we're gonna die on his brain, because all I can think of is the brain that wouldn't die. Yes, and there's that too. Like, that can't be it. That that can't be what we're gonna listen to. It's close. <laughs> The brain that wouldn't die certainly took a lot of liberties from Donovan's brain. <laughs> there are a lot of sci-fi films and novels and Star that, Trek that when they had that brain alive, disembodied brains. Yeah, man, right. two brains. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I will say this: that uh, I can't wait to hear part two. I because I don't know how this ends. You do. You probably read the book ninety times, have it uh, memorized. Full disclosure, I have never read the book okay. uh, at all. So my only experience... Who are you? I know. <laughs> it is currently out of print. I tried to order it, believe it or not. I'm sure there's a used copy. I know. There. I just got tired and stopped looking. <laughs> <laughs> I, the spirit of Eric took over my body. Yeah. I clicked I three went, things eh. and gave up. <laughs> what do you mean you're not in the first I have three a huge stack of books I'm trying to read right now. But Tim, Things I've never said. <laughs> <laughs> you have never heard this either. No, I've not. Okay. So uh, listeners should know that uh, we have listened to part one yeah. uh, apart, but we are discussing this without Tim or Eric having heard part two. Uh, so they are totally in the dark, and we'll, we'll just be discussing this first half hour, which you just heard. Then we're going to listen to it after this recording, and then we'll record then we'll our thoughts. Then we'll realize, like, oh, we were so dumb. <laughs> Oh, it's a brain. brain did it. <laughs> uh, I am just mellow yellow. <laughs> it is a masterpiece so far. It's really, really well done. It's a great story. It moves. Orson Welles turns out pretty good actor. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the production value, everything in it is is cool. I'm I would say that time. going at the very top, I had some misgivings of like Orson Welles is really, he's really pushing this character out to an edge, and I get it now. I see why at the end, like ah, oh, good for you, Orson Welles. You mean performance-wise, yes. that he can delineate between being taken over by Donovan. Yes, yeah, so the, the 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 characters are really clearly uh, drawn. And I can't remember if we have discussed this on the podcast or not, but you know that that is one of Welles' superpowers is that he can transform his voice gradually yeah, from one character to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we've heard it on the podcast, but the most impressive version I've heard is a Campbell's Playhouse version of an Agatha Christie novel where he's playing Poirot, and he goes from a, a Poirot ranting and slowly transforms back into Orson Welles' voice. And it sounds like it was digitally mm. altered. And he does a little bit of that here when he moves back and forth between Donovan and uh, Dr. Corey. There is a speed to his dialogue that is pretty fast. And Mm -hmm. I can't decide if it's a character choice or we got Donovan's brain into an hour. (laughs) We need to have a pace on this. You had mentioned pace before. and That was the main thing that made me think this is an amazing piece of radio is this just flew. It's fast. And it's not just the pace of the show, it's how fast they're doing dialogue. Yeah, that didn't strike me. I feel like he's um, definitely playing the character who has no time for anything other than what exactly. he's interested in. So he uh, puts that I'm, into his tone, where he's so dismissive. Saying, like explaining how the apparatus works. Both in the di- it's both in the, in the speaking of it and the scripting of it. Yeah. As Tim mentioned earlier, it's probably an intentional contrast with Donovan, who speaks... So slowly. Sure, sure, sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which I love that. Sure, 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 sure. Because well, at first I'm... it seems kind of ridiculous and silly, and then it becomes sinister. It's really fun when you can take something so simple and innocuous mm-hmm. and imbue it with dark portent. <laughs> it is going to be my catchphrase for the rest of my life. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I l- love how quickly the script, uh, going back to the speed, establishes Dr. Corey's character. Mm -hmm. It's basically a mini tragic short story. He's like, I bought a monkey off an organ grinder. It bit me. I rebelled against fear because it will interfere with my scientific observations. I gained the monkey's trust. I stabbed it. Yeah. Let's go. (laughs) Like, yep. That's who you are. There was another aspect at the very top that made me go, I don't know that I'm going to be all celebratory about this, but is the... 
the old chestnut of, well, until you can learn to bring some more compassion and love into this world with your science, I don't know that I'm ready to hear this. Of like, the, I'm rooting for the crazy guy. Now. I'm rooting for Mad Doctor. <laughs> yeah, kill more monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> So you're all for keeping human brains alive outside the body. Yes. At this okay. point, I'm on board. <laughs> it's good. I think everyone needs to put their uh, opinion about brains outside of bodies on the record. <laughs> it is somewhat cliched today, much of the story. And I kind of set that aside because I would have to do a deep dive in the history of disembodied brain literature to <laughs> see was this really cutting edge disembodied brain literature um but i admit that any difficulty i had with this and difficulty is too strong is just that the story is not scintillating beat for beat you know what's going to happen it's just in style and presentation well, I and didn't, i didn't know that he was going to be taken over by it not specifically but you know it's going to have some evil influence sure. because the show is called Donovan's Brain. <laughs> you know it's going to be probably more than pudding in the plot of the story. Yes. Um, and then once you do realize, I'm smoking a cigar. I've never smoked a cigar before. You go, right. okay. And what I think is a compliment to the whole production is that that really doesn't matter to me because Orson Welles' performance is so fun. Uh, yeah. The sound effects are so great. The bubbling of brain fluids and yep. the oh, that, hum that, of uh, the brain bellows waves. going the, oh yep. yeah and uh, of course uh he's fixed it up so that you can hear the brain because it's radio and it's, you're like yes i mean it's a nice scene uh when we reveal the power that donovan's brain is now exerting over Corey when he institutionalizes his wife that scene and that from there through the end, which is not much there, but that is the part that is most compelling, most fascinating, is this doctor convinced that he is negotiating with this thing, even though being vaguely aware it is controlling me and some things are happening I'm not in control of, but hanging on to a sense of agency that he is quickly, obviously losing. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you talking particularly when uh, we go back to the house? Yeah. And Corey's like, and I asked the doctor and David where Janice was and they just looked at me like he really has no idea what right. happened. Mm-hmm. If I were David, his son, I would scream at him, you put her in an institution. Yes, he is being taken over by this brain and doesn't know what he's doing. But there's also a part that is established at the top that even if he did know it was happening, would he fight it? Yeah. Right? That's a good point. He also might, shocking might. how easy it was mm-hmm. to have his wife involuntarily committed. <laughs> yes. Well, you're a doctor. All it takes is a signature. Well, because the, the, <laughs> the shrink also is like, she looks pretty not crazy to me. I mean, that's not the exact <laughs> line, but he, but he basically says, well, but if you want her in here, okay. She's paranoid. She thinks I'm out to get her. <laughs> so I'm going to have her put in here against her will to prove her wrong. Uh, yeah, but by 1940s, I don't think it was that easy. This is sort of calling back to uh, the 1800s. Yellow wall. Or baby. early 1900s, mm-hmm. I should say. There was a specific he was, case. He's having a baby? I think. Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole of uh, involuntary institutionalization and when it became so this more and less difficult. Totally, totally not worthy commentary of our 299th episode. Um, but it is weird the things, as you're listening to episodes, if you are doing something else at the same time, a particularly memorable point in the story will then latch on to whatever you're doing at the time. So when he was having her institutionalized, I was cleaning macaroni and cheese sauce off of the stove. And it's, <laughs> I will never separate those two again in my head. I just cleaned out my garage. And every time I walked through the garage, I think of the podcast I was listening to at that time. Yeah. This is also now proof for my wife. I cleaned the macaroni and cheese sauce <laughs> off of the stove. It was a dog that left it there. <laughs> One thing I find interesting about the performance choices, and I guess it's partially the script that dictates these, is that you aren't terribly engaged in the consequences in any sort of relatable way for any of these characters. Everything is very broad and very large, and everybody, even when they have a point, is kind of unlikable. 
right? Like, yes, is, is you I pointed, am engaged in that in the little like I want to see this go as bad as it possibly can. That's what I want to see. Yeah, because Doctor Shrat, like you said, is too sanctimonious. Mm-hmm. And he caves later. He's like, hey, have you tried telepathy? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what happened? I thought you were against this. And uh, Janice is completely right. But she performs it in this. Like, clearly, she's angry about the brain, but also, like, the entirety of her marriage <laughs> comes out in that speech. Because it's just, it's she's just very um oh, That's another t-shirt I want. It's not screaming. just the brain. It's the entirety of our marriage. <laughs> the entirety of the marriage. <laughs> And I'm screaming about right now. Are you going to write that down and get it on our Threadless store or not? Uh, but, I mean, she's right. She calls him a murderer. And <laughs> essentially, he just decided that Donovan would likely die. And he decided to. Well, I guess he's not a murderer because Donovan is still alive. But um, he got rid of the body. And that does result in the best line of the episode, though, is, did you put something in the skull cavity so the eyes won't fall out? <laughs> and it was so casual. Like, did you remember to lock the door? <laughs> is the oven off? Um, yes, it's macaroni and cheese. <laughs> uh, I, I want to an... eat macaroni and cheese. Mm, that's good. Another t-shirt idea for our deep cut line of t-shirts is it's the way orson delivers it too when he's like a brain a brain a monkey's brain <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun yeah that's the thing about this one is there is just story-wise not a lot to unpack it's all on the surface mm-hmm. it also suffers a little from i think i haven't read the book but that adapting a novel where you seem like you have inconsequential characters hanging around like david his son i'm assuming yeah. it's been about 20 years since i heard it so I, I don't remember everything about the next episode but i have to assume he somehow plays a major role or else there's really no point to have, an, have, have even been in this first part we'll find out right S- We're yeah gonna listen to this yeah so instead of voting Obviously, on classic part, just part one. I just want monkey brain. Let's see uh, where we are right now for you two who have never heard this before. Are you excited to hear the next part? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. Like, very I, excited. I, I at the very top, I had some reservations. Thought, oh no, I'm going to be a stinker pants and not like this. But by the time we got the the script got rolling, which was fast, mm-hmm. uh, I was on board. I was on board from the moment it started. And I, Eric's like, you kill a monkey, I am there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no, I loved it. I'm really, I like everything about this so far. It's really cool. Any predictions? Yes. I believe the monkey will come back to life as a zombie monkey. And Donovan will marry him. <laughs> How slow you were talking. I thought we were doing one of those improv games where you wanted me to finish your <laughs> sentence for kinda, you. Kind of did. Uh, I have, Prediction-wise, I will say that uh, Murderous Rampage by uh, Orson Welles' character being perpetrated by the brain and the argument being, was it him or wasn't it him that did this? Mm-hmm. Like the moral dilemma of that. Maybe even a trial, like where they... Where the brain defends itself. Yes. <laughs> How do you plead? Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. The fifth, the fifth, the fifth. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe the brain wants a body. That's a sort of standard brain fare. Mm-hmm. Standard brain fare. <laughs> or is it going to want a brain bride? who knows uh my only comment is um after listening to this much farther down my old time radio journey where i have listened to a lot more old time radio than when i first heard it it reminded me a lot of death robbery it had a lot of that surgical horror Mm -hmm. and even um the idea of someone comes back and their voice is really creepy and that's how you know there's something wrong with them yep anyway that's a free observation you get with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even need to be a Patreon to uh, get yeah, that. Yeah, I just kind of thought that uh, Eric and Tim would be like, yeah, yeah. Instead, they just stared at me blankly. But that's fine. That's fine. It's 299 episodes. I... <laughs> I've started to It's tell not you just the marriage. This. It's the entirety of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and the brain. All right, Tim. Tell them stuff. Um uh, please, uh, 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 I don't know why I said something so hard. 29 episodes. 
it's a little disorienting to just do a part one, isn't it? Yes. This is an experiment. That is. Not, I don't think it's working. Guys. Let's bail. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That's the home of this podcast. We live there, metaphorically. Uh, you can get a bunch of different episodes there. You can leave comments. Uh, let us know what you think about part one. Uh, you can vote in polls. We'll have a poll for this one. Um, you can also link to our social media pages. We're on the Facebook um, and Twitter. Anyway. <laughs> We're Tim, not. are you okay? <laughs> Just keep thinking about that macaroni and cheese sauce. Like, yeah, right. Sure, clean the heck out of that. Uh, you can also link to our Threadless store and get some swag. And you can link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast, please. Uh, we've been doing this for almost 300 episodes now. Um and, and you know, frankly, we're getting tired. So pay us to keep doing it. <laughs> right. Old and tired. Uh, you could also give us a one-time donation for our computer fund. And we are getting really close. Uh, maybe by the time this is out, we have already have enough money. But we'll still take a little bit more for other bells and whistles we might add to it. Literally, we might add a whistle <laughs> to our computer. We want to say thank you to the people who have donated so far. Uh, and this is as of this recording. You may have donated since we recorded this and... Um, we thank you in the future. Uh, but thank you to Bill, Brian, Anna Marie, Linda, Shane, Mark, DBA, Jeffrey, Micah, Ryan, Roberta, Catherine, Carolyn, Loretta, Lori. Thank you all so much. It really, really helps make this podcast happen. And if you'd like to see us performing live, you can see the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Group performing once, a lot of times, twice a month. Uh, we perform classic recreations of radio drama and a lot of our own original work live on stage. If you'd like to see where we're performing, what we're performing, how to get tickets, all of the information on our live audio drama performances, just go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com and there you will see where and what we're performing and how to get tickets and all of that. And if you're a Patreon, you don't even have to come if you don't want to because you'll get the footage, the filming of it uh, as part of your deal of being a Patreon so you can watch it from the comfort of your own home. Uh, what's coming up next? <laughs> next, Sorry Wrong Number Part 2. Nice! No. <laughs> we will be, of course, wrapping up Donovan's Brain. Until then... Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. We'll get it. Sure, sure, sure. What's he saying? Something like... I'm just mad about saffron. Sure, sure, sure. Saffron's mad about me. Sure, sure, sure. I'm just mad about saffron. Sure, sure, sure. She's just mad about me. They call me Mellow Yellow. They call me Mellow Yellow. They call me Mellow Yellow.